This Week at Hope Point. You know, have you ever asked the question, why is it when Hunter and the band up here blaring out singing, why is it that in this place God seems so big and Satan seems so small, and when we go out there, Satan seems so big and God seems so small? It's because of fear. And fear happens when we change our perspective. The reason why God is so gloriously big in your mind when we're singing and singing to come is because your perspective is right. But when your perspective is wrong and you get your mind off of God and you get into fear, you start to make some really dumb decisions. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's Holy Word. One of the most intriguing book titles I have ever come across is Mark Cahill's book, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And uh, it's provocative because when you think about you know, heaven, you think about, I can do everything there because God, infinite in power and glory is there. And he answers in chapter one, the one thing that you can't do in heaven is tell people how to get to heaven. Your opportunity to witness is over when your life is over. This is the only time in all of history when you can tell somebody there's a God who forgives sin. There's a God who can free you from punishment in eternity. You can never have the opportunity to go back with family and friends and neighbors. It's now and when your last breath is taken, you can't witness anymore. Wednesday morning, I got a call from uh, the man who heads up our church planting in India. And... um, this is a picture of his brother. He's our leading pastor, just a great leader. He, I've been to his church several times in the northern part of the city where we have our primary work. And uh, he's been battling a brain tumor for two years. And Wednesday, he went to be home with the Lord. His name is Richard Kishore. And his ministry is, is just marvelous. He planted this church And in a two-mile radius of his church were over 100 Hindu temples. Every Friday night, he would invite people from the area who were, they knew if you have been oppressed and possessed by demons, come to the church for prayer, all night praying. He was so faithful. Lisa and I and my daughter have been in his church before and several times. He can never preach again on earth. He did well, but his, his, his chance to persuade people to come to Christ now must be passed on to you and, and to me. It's amazing. I hope you're ready to meet Christ. I didn't tell this to the first service, but Wednesday, he dies at 7.30. Uh, that afternoon, there was a a funeral for a little baby that died also of a brain tumor in Charlotte, two years old. I did the wedding for her parents, Wofford grads, some years ago. Last week, I was in in my home. A dear friend was there struggling with a brain tumor. I hope you're ready to meet Christ. Life is hard. And our job is to prepare people to meet the Lord. Because so many are going to go to eternity today. I drove home last night. My, my wife is with her, her father in his last hours now. And 87 years old. And I, 
I guess he's probably been making coffee for his department at church for 40 or 50 years. And no more. His chance to serve the Lord is, has come and gone. And we need to take up the, the baton of these who are passing it on to us. I read, I watched a documentary recently about World War II, about the Battle of Okinawa. There was something that happened in our men, the U.S. fighting men. The, they were on the front lines for so long. It was a, it was a phenomenon called the thousand-yard the thousand stare. That when they're on the front lines of combat too long, overwhelmed by combat, these men were so locked in, they could no longer pick up their weapons they were soldiers who were no longer able to fight because of the breakdown emotionally. And I think sometimes you look in the church and it's like we have this thousand, year, thousand yard stare. That because of all the things around us, it may be conflict, it may be hobbies, it may be work, whatever it is that we just have forgotten that we're in this war for the purpose of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, that's why we're still here to share Christ. This is what Paul said our purpose is in the middle of the war. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. Stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The calling on every believer's life is to announce the greatest message in the world and that is we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The longing of God above every other longing that he is involved with is to extend peace to those who've been at war with him. He wants to forgive and he wants to cleanse and we get to tell the world you can have peace with God no matter what you've done. And yet we have this thousand yard stare that we're in the middle of the war and we're not announcing this message very well to people who need to hear it. And Paul said, you need to have your, your feet ready, ready to share Christ. I want to give you seven reasons this morning of why I think we are uh, not effective as we could be in sharing Christ with the world around us and then some solutions to make us more ready. Number one, we have a waning or a diminishing love for God. Something has taken our eyes off of the Lord. His magnificence has become less radiant to us. Maybe we've become cynical. We have a fascination with the world, but we don't have a fascination with God as we, as we once did. The reason that we don't share our faith is maybe there is no faith to share. It's amazing the things we immerse ourselves in and therefore we get excited about it. Can't wait to tell people about the restaurant we love, the gym where we work out. Because we immerse ourselves in those things. If we're not immersing ourselves in God, the reading of scripture and worshiping in church, we'll lose the ability and the capacity, the desire. We're like the parable of in Matthew 13, where all the weeds come and just destroy passion and destroy life. You know, it's amazing. The disciples changed the world, the Roman world, in three centuries. The gospel spread like wildfire. 
through the first witness of the, of the 12 and those that Jesus trained through them. And this is what the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the church leadership said. This is how they described the, the disciples. This is supposed to be a derogatory statement. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is their enemies talking. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary people, they were astonished and they took note, these men had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference in the witness of the early church. These men and women were immersed in Jesus on a daily basis. There's a second reason that we have uh, a less effective witness than we could. We have a waning or a diminishing love for people. When you're not connected to a supernatural God, you don't have access to supernatural people, uh, uh, supernatural power to love people because people are annoying. <laughs> They're not easy to love. And only God can give you his love for people. I was in a waiting room this week, second time in two months to see the same doctor, second time in two months, the same fellow patient on her cell phone, on her speaker. <sighs> Why hadn't you called me back? Well, I didn't see your number. I mean, five minutes. It was so good, honestly. It was so unbelievable. I tape, videotaped the whole thing just to send it to my wife. And I don't know, I mean, I, sometimes I wonder when, is it just the South? Are we dumb? Or does, is this a nationwide problem? I know everything about that family's business. That's what true love is when God fills your heart with his love for people. Third reason we don't witness as we could, we yield to the doubt-producing voice of Satan. I don't, I don't fear Satan like some would fear the boogeyman, like he's going to jump out and scare me. What I respect about that adversary, that evil one, is how good he is at producing doubt. And you probably know this if you've ever tried to witness that, oh, I can't witness now because it's not the right time, or I will say the wrong thing, I'll not have the right answer. Or I'm going to blow it. And you just don't speak. You genuinely love this person, but you just doubt yourself. That's, that's him. That's the evil one. I was in a taxi, a three-wheeler auto in, in India a few years ago. And the missionary that we went to see was trying to train us, not just in cross-cultural evangelism, but learning how to share Christ more quickly because of the many people that we would meet that week. And he said, I just want you to, all to learn to get to the point more quickly. He was training us. And so we were going across this big city traffic and this taxi driver, this Hindu taxi driver, and I'm in the back seat with this missionary. And all of a sudden, he, the missionary looks at me and said, okay, Rich, you're on. And now I'm cross-cultural, busy traffic, through a translator, sharing Christ. And it was like terrible. Like I just like was trying so hard to think what to, what to say. And, and then the, uh, this translator's weight on me. And when I got back to the hotel that room that night, 
Ronnie and I had been there together and, and Ronnie was not with me in that particular taxi ride. And Ronnie said, how did it go? And I said, if there is a hell number two, I just sent him there. <laughs> it was terrible in my mind. But I don't think it was terrible. Really primarily because of this verse of scripture that you need to bank all of your hope on when you're sharing Christ. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Do you know what I love about moments like this? You can never forget today. You'll never get it out of your mind. And that day, that taxi driver, he, in, even in my, my less than perfect, far less than perfect, he heard me say, Jesus, heaven, forgiveness. He can't forget that because of that promise there. So just remember, no matter how cool somebody tries to be to you, that, hey, you're not getting to me, yes. Your words are so effective. And don't let the one, our enemy, tell you that you are an ineffective witness for, for Christ. You know what people are really looking for when you share with them? Not perfection, but authenticity. Do you really love the Lord and want them to know him? Number four, while we don't share Christ as we could and should, dominated by the fear of man. We would have, rather have the respect of man than the approval of God. We fail to witness because we are ashamed of the one who was not ashamed of us. You know, have you ever asked the question, why is it one hunter in the band up here blaring out singing, why is it that in this place, God seems so big and Satan seems so small. And when we go out there, Satan seems so big and God seems so small. It's because of fear. And fear happens when we change our perspective. The reason why God is so gloriously big in your mind when we're singing and singing to come, get wait. I mean, just, just wait, get ready. Or get wait. Well, <laughs> It's because your perspective is right. But when your perspective is wrong and you get your mind off of God and you give in to fear, you start to make some really dumb decisions. Now that's what happens out there. We just give in to fear. I love again the apostles when the leadership of the community told them, do not witness and preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And these men had a decision. Am I going to please God or please man? And they said, we're casting our lot with God, Acts 4.30. Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were no way going to let the people that didn't want them to speak tell them to stop speaking. No one tells you to stop speaking. I want to tell you one thing just that I found in, in life, the lies of the enemy. You know, when you share your, you know, we get accused sometimes in, in, in the church of being um, like, 
Sharing Christ personally, we call that personal event, that's fanatical. You'll hear that. You're just being too fanatical. You know the definition of a fanatic, right? It's somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. We're not fanatical. Tell me, if you can, how many people, and just in your mind, this is not an out loud answer, have ever tried to share Christ with you personally? They, they made the initiative say, do you know Christ? I bet it's less than five, and I bet for some it could be zero. It's not like we're overdoing this. We're not fanatical. Nearly enough. We need to be like these men cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I'd like to give you a couple helps with fear so you won't cave into fear. The first thing I hope will help you is just to you to realize that when you're rejected, it doesn't mean that everything has been messed up. It's going to happen. 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted I just want to remind you, I feel like I could do this every week, but not everybody in the world likes Jesus. They never have. They didn't like him. And they will sometimes, many times, not like you. But in no way did that ever make Jesus think that he was doing something wrong because of the rejection Here's another way to help with the rejection of this world. This world's really not a big deal. I mean, the people that are a big deal right now, one day they're not be a big deal, so why do we let them be a big deal in our life? You know, in the day in which the apostles lived, if you would have asked them, you just asked the Roman Empire in the first century, do you know who Mary is? No. Peter? No. Because they were nobodies, rejects, poor, outcast. But then if you ask, do you know who Caesar is? you know who Nero is? Yeah, they're the big ones. Well, who are they now? Who do we know now? Now we know Peter and Paul and Mary. Because everything gets turned around and flipped over. And now we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. It's the things that feel so big now will one day be small, but it's you who feel small and insignificant. God will one day esteem us with great rewards, which is the second reason, second way that you can handle fear is to look forward to the rewards of rejection. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. There's going to be far more rewards in heaven given out for people who tried to share Christ and got rejected than people who won a whole bunch of, a whole slew of people to the Lord. He's, he, he rejects you for your effort. I mean, he, he, he rewards you. He re- He sees your rejection, and every rejection will be rewarded by God. It's amazing how in life we just being cool. I mean, is that we think teenagers, students deal with that? 
Everybody just wants to be cool and seen as cool. Do you know what's cool? Not going to hell. You know what's cool is being rewarded by Jesus. That's cool. A little bit of rejection on earth. That's all right. What's, being, what's cool is heaven and Jesus. I want to live for what's cool. Number five, we have never experienced the joy of watching someone come into the kingdom. I love the party atmosphere in the city of Samaria when one of the apostles named Philip went down there. Acts 8, verse 6, when the crowd heard Philip, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. So there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine how the celebration that occurred in Samaria when Jesus was made known? When you have a front row seat to watch somebody come to Christ, it's like an addiction. You say, I'll have another. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. You're never going to experience what is called true fullness of life until you're active in sharing Christ. The highest privilege in life is helping somebody begin a relationship with the king of the universe. Every other pleasure on earth is small compared to the privilege of telling people that God will forgive them and cleanse them and take them to heaven when they die. You know, if you live long enough, I'll tell you what's cool now that I'm getting some age on me, is when now I get to hear from people that I ministered to years ago that I can't even remember, and now they're serving people. I saw a guy at an FCA golf tournament a, a few weeks ago. He said, you remember that camp you spoke at in 2007? And now he's serving the Lord. Just the rewards of having an eternal influence. It just gets better and better. There's nothing like when somebody tells you thank you for leading me to Christ. I, I, you know, one of the leading voices right now in, in church history, I mean, in, in present our culture, a very winsome, courageous voice for Christ is, is Eric Metaxas. You need to read his stuff, listen to him. It's just a walking lesson in courage. And he's very smart. It will help you formulate some good, what to think about, what to dwell on with your heart. But you know, he was lost. He went to Yale, 25 years old, no clue of who God was. And a friend of his named Ed Tuttle started sharing Christ with him. And then God finished that up with this really elaborate dream. All of it led Eric to Christ. And now Eric is this author that's like crazy, saturating the, the world with his writing. Do you know the first book that Ed Tuttle gave, gave him to help him be a disciple was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And then Eric Metaxas went on to write the greatest biography of Bonhoeffer that's ever been written. That book alone is changing the church. I wonder what Ed Tuttle feels like today that he opened his mouth and all of that happened. Oh, the joy of leading people to Christ. Number six, reason that we aren't great 
evangelist. We don't believe that gospel conversion or gospel conversation is necessary. This is the age-old argument used by spiritual cowards. I'm just going to let my life speak for me. Wow, you must be doing a lot better than me. My wife is not here today. I just asked her in 37 years of ministry, please, while I'm preaching, don't stand up and say, he's a liar. (laughs) I'm not going to let just my life speak for me. And here's why. Even Jesus Christ found it necessary to speak and his life was perfect. So unless your life is better than his, you better find some words to go with your life. And then people say, well, what are you saying then? Which is more important, our life or our words? And and the answer would be, which wing of an airplane is more important, the right one or the left one? Watch your life and watch your words. They're equally important. Now other people say, let me just, let me just use a verse so you can see where I'm getting at with this. 1 Corinthians 1, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save, save those, those who, who believe. Be- How does God save? Through words. You say, well, could, could, can God save apart from words? No. He could have, but once he locked himself into words, it's words. Some people handle it, the, you know, the... Their excuse is that I'm just praying for everybody. Well, let me tell you how that works. If you're just going to go, I'm just going to pray, but never witness. That's like almost taking a pot, filling it with dirt, and then watering the dirt and asking, oh God, please let a flower grow. It will not grow. Because you didn't put a seed in the dirt. We pray for the seed to grow. So prayer is so important, but as the seed is planted, the seed being the words you share. Again, I'll just go quick through this for the sake of time. Paul's logic in Romans 10, I pray that Israel will be saved. Romans 10, 1. He's praying. How are they going to be saved? If they would confess with their mouth I don't know why that's in there. If they would confess with their mouth words, Jesus. That's how you get saved. Words. How they get here words, somebody's going to tell them. Verse 14, how can they believe in, in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Words are necessary for someone to be saved. I, I, I can even prove it like this. Think about right now where you are spiritually and you don't have to shout it out though it would be fun to think of the person whose words are very responsible for you being in this place today or where you are spiritually. I guarantee you there's a name to where you are. Their words Their words led you to Christ. Number seven, why don't we share Christ as effectively as we could? 
We're not sure how to begin gospel conversations. I very much respect this. This, is, this troubles all of us. How do I begin? Because what we're doing, we're, we're saying, if I, if I could find that open door into that person's life, I would share. And I agree with you. That's what I'm always looking for myself. Even Paul prayed that, asked for that for the church. Colossians 4.3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Here's Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, said, you just can't go opening doors. You wait for open doors. Like, if you try to open a door, try to witness when the door's not open, it's just going to backfire. Like, it's five o'clock, your business is over, you got a coworker who's late to his son's championship baseball game, and you stop him at the door and say, do you have 30 minutes for me to tell you about the greatest thing in the world? Like that door is not open at that time. So when you try to go through an open door that, that's not open, it's like Aunt Ruby. My wife and I at our first church uh, lived in the church parsonage, which is the house next to the church, which most people assumed was part of the church, which assumed, oh, I can go there anytime I want. It's just the church. Just Richard and Lisa happened to live there. Well, one Saturday morning, early, Lisa and I were in our bedroom waking up, and all of a sudden, our bedroom door opened. It was Aunt Ruby. And she looked and said, hey, are y'all busy? And I said, no, and I'm glad we're not. She had opened the house door and our bedroom door. And when we don't wait on God and we don't look for open doors, it just is awkward like Aunt Ruby awkward. <laughs> so what I want to do from this point on is to talk about how we can be a part of the door opening process. I'll close with, with these. Number one, most of your open doors are going to be with people that you know, neighbors, coworkers, family. I watched um, a podcast this week of business people in Atlanta at uh, Louis Giglio's church, Passion Church, of how they try to use their business relationships to share Christ. How cool is that? Sharing with young men and women how to do that. Here's how if I were in the workplace, you know, you might say something like, I would do this, in your workplace, you could just start by inviting some people to church. Do you know most adults, have, most adults that are lost will say, I've never had anybody give me a personal invitation to their church. You can invite people to a marriage series if your church is doing that. When you talk to people in the kind of a relationship like at work, you might say, wow. You know, if somebody said, what'd you do this, what'd you do this past weekend? One of the guys in Atlanta said this is what, it, the, what he says. Well, we went to church Sunday morning and it was, the music was so great. God is really changing lives at our church. I'd love for you to come. You could do that. When you're dealing with people that you've known for a little while and you say, man, this relationship's gone on a little too long. I haven't said anything about the Lord. You can say something. This is what I've done before. Hey, listen, man, we have messed, joked around a lot about a lot of things. I really, 
I've never talked about um, my faith journey uh, or found out where you are on your faith journey. Um, or you could say this, you know, gosh, this world is getting so crazy. It just makes me hungrier and hungrier to, to get to the other side. Do you ever think about what's on the other side? That would be a way that you could get into a conversation. Or how about your neighbors? One of the most effective things you can ever do with your neighbors is to simply have them over to your house. And because really, if all you do is invite them to church, but you never have them over for a meal, they may actually be insulted by that, maybe. Like, invite them. Like Matthew did, Matthew the tax collector in Luke chapter 5, when he got saved, the Bible says he invited all of his sinful friends to a party where Jesus was. It was a party with a purpose. Because when you invite people to your house, guess what you get to do at that moment before you eat? You get to pray. Most lost people have never heard somebody personally pray to Jesus. Ever. And you could pray something like this. God, thank you for the hamburgers, but our real purpose for being here tonight is our spiritually lost neighbors. They are depraved. <laughs> and they're in a lot of trouble. Help them. Really, just let them hear you say, Jesus, thank you for hamburgers. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for all the good times we've had. Thank you for, for the, you know, for, for the beautiful night for cooking out. Let them hear you say the name of Jesus. When you're looking for ways to do evangelism outside of a relationship, you just got to think intentionally. We are headed to um, the aquarium in Charleston in a couple weeks with our grandson who's turning three. And I just could imagine standing next to somebody because I'm already thinking about, is there going to be an opportunity to share Christ? Not a full-blown gospel, but this is my, what might happen at a place like that for me, the way I'm wired, is to say, wow, God has an unbelievable imagination, doesn't he? Or God is so good to create these crazy-looking fish, isn't he? It just to say something about God in conversation that looks like it's pretty natural because you're looking at crazy looking fish. If somebody asks you, again, like, how do you handle stress in life? Again, maybe a work question. Say, well, I begin my day every day with a cup of coffee and I read a chapter in the Bible and I do a thousand pull-ups. Just something like that <laughs> would be a great way of answering their question. A small dose of Jesus in your answer. I love to ask people questions about their, about their tattoos because a lot of times it's, pretty, it's a pretty deep reason they got that tattoo. And, you know, if you are a person who has tattoos, then they might ask you about you. Tell me about that big eagle on your back. <laughs> but really, no, if you have a... It's something on your arm. They'll say, what is that? And you, maybe you have a cross or a verse. But do you just be, think intentionally, how can I possibly turn this conversation 
to the Lord. And remember, you're not trying to lead them to Christ. I love what one man said. I don't always try to lead somebody to Christ in this context. I just want to put a pebble in their shoe. Just mess around their conscience a little bit. And by the way, if you travel a lot, just get business cards from people. And when you get back home, you can tell them, hey, listen, enjoyed meeting you. Uh, blessings on your business, all that. But we didn't get a chance to talk. Here's, I'd like to share with you uh, the foundation of my life. Whatever you say it. But I've written, I've written many business people after flights. Let me close with this. And these are all on our website. If you go today, sermon notes, all of this, I'll talk fast. Here's a great book, Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. Just starter. Or you can do what I did this week. I'm going to reveal a big secret. I YouTubed How to Begin Evangelistic Conversations. So that's, that would be a, a, a thing. Also, I want you to make use of the little red book that we give out to guests every week. We order them by the hundreds. We want to order hundreds more. It's got a layout of the gospel. You can give it to somebody if you're not comfortable. But also at the end of the book, everything that I say in the booklet, we have Bible supporting references for. You have to know some basic Bible verses to share Christ effectively. You can get that. Or you can go to the website that we created for the book, drawthefish.org, and you can just text that to people or email that. I had a therapist in the hospital. I knew I wasn't going to have a long time with her. I said, hey, we've got a great video on. It's beautifully done to music. It talks about a relationship with God. I'd love for you to watch this. Drawthefish.org. And all of these go to the sermon, the notes. All of these are there. Um, three circles. We had one of our, um, our young people, Elizabeth Keating, did a great video. It's also on the website. A link to how she uses three circles to uh, share the gospel with people. You can find that all over the web as well. And finally, you have to know your testimony. You have to know how to tell your testimony in about three minutes. Like an example might be, I grew up in a good home. My mom and dad loved me dearly. They took me to church and I had great mentors there. I really did learn some things about the Bible in church. But when I got to Clemson, I knew something was missing. There was a gap. I went from a place in high school where I was somebody to 18,000 people on a campus, I was lonely. And I just needed, I needed an extra dose of a sense of love and acceptance. Every day to class, I walked through a grove of trees. They were beautiful and they were strong and they smelled great. And as I began to look at the beauty of those trees, it, it just began to draw my heart that I want to, I want to be able to have a better relationship with the God who created those trees. And so I bought a Bible and I began reading that. And I discovered when I was reading that Bible that even though the Bible talks about a lot of things, the main thing to focus all the time is, some, is Jesus Christ. 
Why did God send Jesus Christ to earth? I said, trees, the trees on Clemson's campus were beautiful, but when I read about Jesus, I saw how beautiful he was. He loved hurting people. How beautiful he was that he was willing to forgive sinful people. And the most beautiful thing that he ever did was die on a cross. And he died for my sins so that I could live with God forever in heaven. And when I was 19 years old, I read the story of Jesus on a cross and Jesus rising from the grave. And it was at that time that I said, I want to know God personally and follow him with all of my heart. And since that day, the trees have gotten only more beautiful. My conversations with God of thank you have only gotten more excessive. And I talk to him when I'm hurting and he gives me strength when I'm weak and I'm gonna live in heaven forever because of my relationship with Christ. Thank you for letting me share that with you. You gotta practice that all the time so you can do it just like that when God gives you an open door. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.